Welcome back to the Growing Band Director Podcast. This is episode number 96, and I'm here with Don Stinson. Don is the band director at Joliet in Illinois uh, High School, Joliet Central High School in, in Joliet, Illinois. And today we're going to be talking about the expertise that he has, and I have a little bit in the subject as well. So I'm happy to be having this conversation of working with low-income students, which is not always a bad thing. So Don, how are you? I'm excellent. I'm excellent. Thanks for having me on, Kyle. Absolutely. So first, let's let's just jump in. There are some obvious challenges working with students that are low income from low income families. However, there's also positives to this as well. There are negatives that can come along with teaching students with high income families, right? So let's start talking about what are some of the um, what are some of the challenges that we get when we have students who don't come from a lot of money. Yeah, you know, it's that's an interesting. Uh, topic, right? And when I think about my experience with it, I work at Joliet Central High School, which is considered a Title I low-income school. Mm -hmm. And I grew up there and went to that school and was a, a low-income free-reduced uh, free lunch student yep. uh, for quite a while. And uh, But with my teaching career, it's interesting because I've also worked in incredibly wealthy uh, schools. Sure. I'm just complete opposite end. And there's just so much more in common than there are, you know, differences in mm -hmm. that sense. Um, so, you know, as, as you're asking about, you know, maybe some positives, negative negatives, um, and things like that. Um, you know, the money thing is it's it's just fascinating. And and the more I focused on money with my programs, I realized that wasn't going to make us as as good as I thought it would mm -hmm. you know I always joked out, out here we were talking in the discussion notes about um some other successful programs so you know I would joke with my kids I'm like we have the same exact music stands as as Marion Catholic High School but why don't mm -hmm. we sound the same right? <laughs> mm -hmm. right we have the same equipment we have the same so what we were finding out quite a bit in low-income schools um maybe underserved schools is that it's just a different and a wider variety of prior knowledge. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And I think that's where people get a little bit skittish and, and um, maybe overwhelmed at times. So at my school, for example, I've got what I think are some, some wonderful teachers that send students into us, um, but the students are, you know, experiencing a high level of mobility. So some mm -hmm. of our students before they get to high school may be in three or four different school districts due to moving around. Sure. The way um, Illinois is set up here, we've got, I think, nine different sender schools in, in my area from three or four different school districts. Wow. So some of our kids start sixth grade, some, some start fourth grade, some start fifth grade. And then I've even got um, kids that just kind of, I find them in the hall and they look like band kids and they start there you go. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> in high school, right? <laughs> yeah. So when I think about, you know, the challenges of it, it's, it's coming in with that. And I know this was like an old educational term of like wide variety of skills, right? You'd see that on all job applications out here. Mm -hmm. but we truly have such a wide variety of skills. And then the challenge is, you know, especially in high school band, like, okay, we need something on the football field in a month now, right? <laughs> when, uh, you know, our first, first game is coming in. 
And, you know, of course, bigger challenges are making sure that, you know, the kids are getting what they need, um, not only educationally, but when we talk about that prior knowledge, we have some kids that come in with some real trauma. Mm -hmm. We have kids that come in um, that have just a ton of responsibility at home. You know, and that and that's always the funny thing with these types of schools where I I have 14 year olds that are at home getting kids, getting their siblings ready to get on the bus. Yep. You know, their their parents are working quite a few jobs. Um, they're they're cooking at home, et cetera. And then they have to come to a place where they have to ask to go to the bathroom. Right. So <laughs> a lot of this is we're just we're trying to help kids just kind of navigate what you know, life could be, we're trying to, you know, help them with, you know, you don't want to overstep any boundaries, but we have a lot of great, great faculty, staff, administration, community members at Joliet that do try to really work with, you know, the whole child with, with sure. everything they need. So yeah, those are, those are some of the challenges. It's that it's, you know, when, when you think about, and I don't know if you've dealt with this or not, but what we put out there, like, hey, here's this great performance, here's this great trip, et cetera. And then in the background, we have band parents that are making sure, like, we've got deodorant stocked in the back of the mm -hmm. uh, band parent closet, mm -hmm. that we've got enough food for kids for trips, you know? So that's kind of a little bit of a synopsis of, like, sure. I don't know, to be humorous about it, sometimes we, we deal with music. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> You know, and I like to think of the triangle, you know, of, you know, of education, right? The teachers, the parents, the students, and there's a difference between parents who are not involved at all or parents that are, that are just working and there's yeah. more on the kids and they, they don't have as much money. I mean, I came from that as well, but what I find is that kids are so much more, so many times, again, as a generality, they're so appreciative. If, yeah. you know, a lot of my students who don't come from much the minute they get that instrument, they take such good care of it. And the minute that they, you know, are part of a band family, it's such a big deal to them. So I have other colleagues who I've, who've worked in more affluent communities. And sometimes they, they'll talk to me and they'll say, and I just wish my, I wish I wasn't a stop along the way, you know, <laughs> uh, like all my kids are going to be doctors. Yeah. And I feel like band is like a thing they do to put on their resume, but it's not as big of a deal. And I sometimes say, well, I wish I had that problem for like a day in my career yeah, because yeah. It's, it's a little different now, but I've had a lot of years where like, literally, if you didn't do it for them, it wasn't going to be done. And, uh, right. you know, it, it can be draining on the teachers for sure. If you feel like you're everything and you're right, music is like a tiny percent of what you're doing. Well, um, you're, you're at, yeah. And I, and I love that you hit on that part there because that is the part where it's like these I think every music program is very jealous um, of, of what their director does outside of, of band, mm -hmm. right? And that can really creep into um, just taking up all of your time, you know, especially in a, in a program with a lot more challenges. And, right. and that's, that's something that you really do have to realize, okay, I'm not on call or there's somebody else that can help out with this in the school. Um, but yeah, you know, the, we, we just have a lot of legitimate issues that come up every day that have to be, you know, a, a addressed, whether sure. it's with the kids or the program. So, but to your point too, about appreciation, um, that, that is something where if there's anybody, because I've had people come to me and they're like, I have an interview for this school, it's title one, 
I think it's a great opportunity. All of my family is saying, uh, you don't want to do that. And, and I don't know if you've had this, but I have people that can come and visit my program and they leave afterwards and they're like, oh my gosh, the respect and the support mm-hmm. and the kid, you know, and they're like translation. We didn't get beat up. We thought we were going to walk in and this was going to be mm-hmm. <laughs> something crazier. Right. But you, you hit upon that, which is, you know, maybe it's a little self-serving sometimes because mm-hmm. you feel good as a teacher. Mm-hmm. You know? Like that's, that's it. You feel good as a teacher because you help provide this thing, but then you look at it. Um, and you no, know, it's, it's, it's just a, it's, it's a nice feeling to see kids appreciate mm-hmm. their education. You know? So some of the, some of the other things I, I noticed that the kids are very dedicated because like band is their life a lot of times if there's nothing else going on there's an extreme example that i had a a student one time in a a school that i taught in not my current school this kid actually lived at school overnight and it took them about the whole year to figure that out there was there was a secondary gym and like a little balcony above the stage at that gym and that kid at the end of the day would like kind of just go up there and nobody ever went there and at one one point they went up and then like they found like a bed a lamp a dresser all these clothes, like this is where this kid lived. And then when the bell would ring, they would just, they would just come down and sneak out and we, we never knew. Um, I, I just find that these students, they're so hardworking and they're, they're used to hardship, right? Um, actually, my, my parents always taught me that, that they tried to get me used to hardship. Yeah that, they, yeah. that the kids who can push through stuff, you know, will then when their instrument gets hard, which is like always, um, yeah, yeah. They're, they're able to, they don't give up. Whereas the kids who've had the road made for them, you know, so many times they won't push through those boundaries. Now, here's the flip side of it, though, is that we certainly see that. But we also see some kids that have experienced no success. Mm-hmm. And they they have a few times dipped their toe into really hard work and perseverance, etc. And then it doesn't happen for them. So then we we do get a lot of kids um that are a little bit like what's the point of this Mm -hmm. you know and because like you know and and they'll literally say they're like this just isn't in the cards for me or in the cards for my family this is how it is you know we're poor we're always going to be poor that's okay Mm -hmm. um you know so then that's where the challenge comes in and i think the challenge uh, for me always with that is okay it's not like you want to mow down every obstacle for the kids but how can I, as the director, create an opportunity where that student feels and is successful? Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we've been really trying to focus on at Joliet as well. And, and for some kids, it's, you know, if they're a new band student, for example, like for some kids, it's making a sound on the instrument. Mm-hmm. You know, for other kids, it's auditioning into something. Um, for a lot of our band, where I, I don't... Um, you know, as I said, with the wide variety of kids that comes in, we we do goals more of like, can we play on really nice stages somewhere? We do like more group goals than individual mm-hmm. goals. Mm-hmm. And when we can get, get something like that, that's where I can start to see some of those kids go, okay, maybe maybe this hard, frustrating work is is worth it. But but like I said, that's one of the challenges we get is that there's a a lot of kind of acceptance of just you know if you know, if, 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 if trying is going to potentially lead to failure, mm-hmm. you know, then why try it at all? Cause that's a bad feeling. <laughs> so, so you probably learned this a long time ago that you need to make sure that your place is, 
um, is a safe place for them to feel where they can fail, they can make mistakes, yeah. but they can be themselves and you're still going to be there for them. The band's still going to be there for them so that, Absolutely. so that they get comfortable failing. Yeah. And I think, I think we lay that out to the kids as kind of a, um, business personal, um, relationship there. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm very lucky at my school where we have this rehearsal time that then butts uh, into what we call band lunch. So we rehearse and then the, the band is one of the only groups in the school that can just eat lunch in their own room. Mm -hmm. uh, so we rehearse and like, we'll get, you know, pretty, I don't know, pretty driven on some things and pretty intense. And as soon as that bell rings and it turns into band lunch, like my time is mm -hmm. over with them pushing them. And it's, it's just kind of cool to see kids like ah, this bell rings, it turns into lunch and then they're just going to get their sandwich and screwing around, mm -hmm. you know, talking yeah. with their friends, et cetera. So I think that's another part of it to the point of, you know, when you're talking about that safe place, it's, it's funny. My, my program is very old. It's like 113 years old now or something like that. And it's and the first, the first band program in the country, right? It's, it's not the first, but it's okay. one of the most significant. I think the first is in Texas or Tennessee. Um, but um no ours ours is pretty it's it's pretty old it's 1912 mm -hmm. and then um in the history of the school i'm only their fifth director so no, that's that's just just amazing no pressure, right? <laughs> <laughs> so and since i teach in illinois i'll be that fifth director for a long time before retirement right that's crazy um, but, you know, you talk about that tradition of the program, it's it's funny when you're alums, even from like the 60s, like mm -hmm. they'll talk about these things, but they'll also talk about just that that social aspect. You know, they said we we really enjoyed going out there and playing well. Also, just the camaraderie. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, we talk about that safe place like it does take a, a community because it's 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 me involved with it. We have band parents that come in. We have so many community volunteers, private lesson teachers that we employ, um, you know, and other mentors in the school. And and that's just how we have to run the program, make sure mm -hmm. every kid gets, gets those needs met. Would you consider Joliet a band town? Um, I Yeah, I would. I mean, especially when you look at, again, the history of the the history of the program we used to they used to have these national championships that they hosted i have video of them from the 20s mm -hmm. and 30s wow so it's like john philip souza uh, and i think it was edwin franco goldman captain was it charles o'neill i can't remember but they were the judges they came out and there's just so here's souza conducting these mass bands that are coming out um the joliet band then was awarded this like permanent possession of this national trophy because they won it six times hmm. um but yeah it's you know we've got great band programs out here with our our junior highs and our our high schools our sister school Joliet West does does phenomenal as well and um you know when you say band town what does that mean I mean it means yeah. like, you know it's the, the the community the community rallies behind the band yep the band's um, a big deal band's a big deal yep. and you know, I just love my kids in our schools, like 70, 70, 75% low income free reduced lunch. Now, mm -hmm. um, you know, what, what does that mean for us? That means a few years ago, we got an invite to play on stage at Lincoln center in, in New York city. Wow. And 
you know, like some of our, most of our families, like that's a stretch to ask them to pay for that. Mm -hmm. But as you know, like if we don't have any bass clarinet players or, or alto sax players or any instrument that can't go, like we can't play it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so what does our community, our community gets behind us and we, we raise like a hundred thousand dollars or all of those kids can go. That's, you know, you know it, that's an underrated thing. You know, people think about the money in a place and what the schedule is. And obviously that's a, that's, those are big deals things. But if you're going into a town that has this past history, I can speak from experience because in Westbrook, it's the same thing. Many, yeah. many his, historical teachers throughout, they went to the Rose Bowl parade at one point. There were so many things they've done over the years that when I came in, I sort of took it in my direction, but the, the history was there. And it's such an important, when you're lucky enough to be in a band town, I think it's a really great thing. So uh, I was also gonna ask you, um, you talked about how many kids are in free and reduced lunch. I think we're about the same. Um, how many students play on a school-owned instrument? You know, percentage? it's funny, because it, yeah, it lines up. And, and for me, anybody out there listening, if you've never, if, if you look up my name on, on Yamaha's education blog, I've got a bunch of writings I did there. And one of them, it's a little dry and it's, it's also in my book. It's a little dry, but I think it's important. And it's um, on your school report card. So anybody listening, if you've never looked at your school report card, it's going to give you data of the demographics in your school, the, the money. It's going to talk about mobility. It's going to talk about your... Um, you know, the race of your administrators and teachers and and students, and it's going to talk about that free reduced lunch uh, thing. So, you know, it's, I reference that a lot and we line up pretty well with our, our school report cards. So, you know, we've got, as I said, about 70, 75% low income in the school. And that's um, about where the band program is in terms of how many kids need an instrument. So that's, I mean, you can assume some things, right? Like I know these are expensive, but you know, our our tuba players obviously don't own their own tubas, mm -hmm. not making kids bring timpani back and forth to school as Mm -hmm. funny as that might be. Right. Um, But we're, yeah, we're having to supply a lot of flutes, clarinets, alphas, X's, trumpets. Every year we have a part of our instrument budget that is just for new, new beginner instruments. And it's okay. a, a flat line at a local store that does that deals in used instruments and we can get whatever we need that year for it. And we're very similar. So the music inventory is a whole piece of it too, right? You've got to have oh, the yeah. whatever that is and what kid has it. And some kids play it from fifth grade all the way through 12th grade. Uh, yeah. And then you get the horn back and, um, you know, then occasionally a kid will move out. Um, so then you have to make sure you get that horn back right yeah those are fun adventures when that happens you know (laughs) (laughs) and it's never i found it was never nefarious it was just you know a lot of time people just had i don't know moving is stressful you know so there times we had to to drive over to another city and uh get reacquainted with our tenor saxophone we um one of the things that my wife is insistent on so i'm really lucky my wife's a fantastic middle school teacher and she teaches in the same town that i teach in so they have her for four years and then me for four years and that's their whole band experience so we're lucky in that way you're you're pulling from you said nine different schools or or whatever um so a little different but she insists if there's a student who needs an instrument in fifth grade or sixth grade whenever they're starting um, cause sometimes you can't get the parents to call in. You can't talk to a parent. And yeah. in, in that case, she won't send the instrument out. Like she physically, I mean, if you're sending home a trumpet, 
you know, you have to yes, know yeah. that there's a, that the parents know it's there, that it's school property, that it's X number of dollars and, and all that. And there's sometimes the kids really wants to play, but if they can't get their parent, even with a translator, if that's an issue, you know, yeah. that, that that's a hard line she has. She's like, no, I need to talk to mom or dad before I'm going to send this home with you. Yeah. Yeah. And we, you know, it, it's interesting because these logistics just matter so much, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think just the logistics of how kids enter a room and exit can make a break, make or break a program. So then when you think about, you know, as you're saying, we're dealing with thousands of dollars of equipment and we're ultimately responsible mm -hmm. for that. Um, so yeah, we have a similar thing to it. We don't, uh, we don't charge a rental fee for the the instrument. Same, but I have a sheet. I have a sheet that's basically this is the value of the instrument. This mm -hmm. is the history of it. This is what a typical repair would look like, you know, and this and, and how much it would cost. Mm -hmm. And these are things you can expect to go wrong that the school will cover. You know, like we're gonna replace spit valve uh, cords. We're gonna do that. Mm -hmm. That stuff's just going to wear out. You know. Yeah. However, these are things that happen typically because of neglect, you know, dented mm -hmm. metal, all that stuff. And, um, you know, that's something that that does get supplied to the parents and, and they sign that and they understand, you know, we're not trying to make anyone feel bad. You know, I'm not going mm -hmm. you know, and saying you better say thank you every day. You're playing this fifteen hundred dollar instrument. No, that's not the point. But rather it's understanding, again, mm -hmm. the value of it. Then you start to get the parents telling the kid, like, hey, you better not leave that on the chair. You better, mm -hmm. you know. And and I get a little passive aggressive sometimes. Sometimes I'll see in a locker a uh, clarinet not put in the case and it's just the just hanging there, you know. So there have been times I got a good enough relationship with the parents where I would snap a photo of that locker and then email it to the parents saying, Hey, I'm gonna talk to him later today. This is uh what I found in Billy's locker here you know, could you reinforce at home about this? Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. You know, and then, and then we're fine with that. But I, I, I wanted um, to, I wanted to point something out that, that you just highlighted. Um, you know, I've sort of come across in the last year and a half or so of doing this podcast, I've come across what I feel like are three things that are really important for key programs. This is just sort of like yeah. crystallized in my mind. Um, and it's programming relationships and striving for mastery. And you really hit on that second one, you know, you're because you have the relationships with the community, whether it's the parents, the kids or all that you're able to then kind of dig in a little bit, take the photo, send it kind of kind of yeah, dig, yeah. kind of dig on the kid a little bit. So you you know, you've earned that trust. And again, if there's a new teacher out there, I wouldn't try to do what you're doing or approach it that way until you get to a point where you've you, you've earned that trust with the, the community. Absolutely. Yeah. You really got to know your, your community and your kids, you know, for those things. And <laughs> I mean, it's, and it's, it's fascinating when you think about how many different, you know, positive relationships you, you can have and you have to have. Mm -hmm. So to that point, like I can think about every kid in my program right now and, and most of their parents, and I'm not saying you got to change who you are every single time. However, mm -hmm. I know you know, let's put it this way. We'll put it this way. Caring can come in a lot of different forms, right? So when we care about somebody, it's going to look a lot different. Mm -hmm. So with one of my trumpet players, you know, I know that I can, I can be very blunt with him. Yep. I can say you were supposed to have this part today, but you didn't have this part today. That's all. And that kid will be kind. And then he'll come back the next day. He'll do it. 
Mm-hmm. And they'll say, Mr. Stinson, you were right. I didn't have it. I wanted to blame you. It wasn't your fault, right? Mm-hmm. I also know I have another student somewhere that if I did that, that kid would just break down in tears, mm-hmm. right? So that that kid, I understand the approach is, hey, looks like this just didn't work out, right? Like, let's 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 talk with um, let's talk after class. Let's see what we can do. Maybe we can break this down in a different chunk, for example, right? Or I have the kids I know that um, I can address things in class, and there are also kids that at the end of class, I've got a, a 10 second window where I can come up to them and say you know, what, what, what needs to be said, why don't we try this? So yeah, it really is understanding how things are. Um, my friend Roosevelt has a great story about that, you know, where he'll, he had a student teacher once and he was talking to a kid and called it, called the kid a knucklehead or something. The kid's like, oh, uh, uh, the student teacher then tried to do that the next day, called the kid a knucklehead and that kid just wanted to fight him. Right? Yep. <laughs> so you know, that um, I, I know that's, again, kind of a buzzword today with education, with, you know, the relationship and everything. But yeah, I think it's just knowing your program. It's knowing your students and, you know, it's understanding what your goal is and, and how you you are going to get there and how your kids are going to get there. And and, you know, you need to put in time in the community to get there and you need to be your authentic self. And I think that we would both agree that every student has the ability or the potential to succeed and um I think a lot of that is getting their buy-in as well. So what are some things that you do to, uh, you know, to get their buy-in and to help them succeed? Yeah, it's, so it's interesting with that because, you know, part of it to get that buy-in, I do try to think about, can we get a quick win? Can we get a quick win mm-hmm. at the beginning of the year somehow? And, and, and for some kids, maybe it's a new scale. Maybe it's, um, I just love with brass players, like, you know, if they come in new, I can usually give them a few more notes on the top of their range by saying like, hey, let's suck our belly in and let's cheat mm-hmm. a little bit. And, you know, it, so those quick wins help quite a bit. Uh, I think it's the typical things you've probably heard before, like, you know, learning the kids names, those things. But ultimately, and 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 I think this is a, a little slice of humble pie sometimes, Um I, I had to accept a long time ago, too, that this wasn't necessarily all my job and that mm-hmm. this wasn't I wouldn't be the best person for this because as, as a 39 year old guy, um, the kids don't always really want my validation and my respect. Right. So when it comes to that. I have found that more of the kids just want their peers respect and their Mm -hmm. peers to notice them. So, so that changed things quite a bit when, when you start to look at your program as not just, okay, these kids are just here to play the music, but rather like once, once we started looking at having a hundred teaching assistants in the room, that changed things quite a bit because now the ownness of it is a little bit more on the older kids they're then having to step up a little bit more. They are noticing that a 14-year-old in my program is, is looking at them for some sort of guidance. And, you know, so that that part, I think, has helped quite a bit. When we, we started putting some of the ownership on the students, mm-hmm. when we started again alerting the kids, like, hey, you never know when you have an audience. Someone's always, always watching you here. Um, and then we're starting to see just better relationships form amongst 
the kids and their sections and their, in their larger sections, brass and woodwind percussion, right? And and just in the band there. Um, and that has been just a great tool for buy-in because, mm-hmm. you know, at some point the kids will get mad at me and which is fine, you know, and we, we deal with it. Um, but the nice thing is like, if they're mad at me that they then have that kind of like shared misery in their section that, you know, it provides that esprit de corps there. So I'm not saying I'm trying to manufacture anger to, you know, mm-hmm. do that. <laughs> but, um, you know, but, but. You know, to that point earlier, they they start to realize they have a place. They have these bonds that are forming. Um, they have ownership in that program. I have a, a little thing in my program called the complain twice rule. So that means if you complain about something twice, that you have automatically become the chair of that committee to solve that problem. And that that applies to parents as well. <laughs> so the example I'll give is we had um, we supply all reeds and valve oil and everything in the school. I have mm-hmm. a file cabinet for it. The kids can just go and get it. And part of it's because of our population not being able to afford a lot of those things. The other part is I'm just kind of a control freak and I want them using certain equipment. Mm-hmm. And I had this this girl that just during band going ah the reed cabinet is a mess you got it <laughs> yeah you're right okay next day here's an announcement she goes that reed cabinet is a mess and i said okay congratulations we now have our new reed cabinet manager mm-hmm. Everybody, a round of applause she's like okay so, <laughs> but then that day she goes to this reed cabinet figures things out with it i come in the next day and it's just beautifully organized and then we started talking a little bit about this thing and that became her job so Mm -hmm. not only was it her job to keep that organized um but she was then helping to distribute things to people and then i was getting an email every friday just saying mr stinson here's the current read inventory here's what we will have to order this week so that then evolved into like a month or two down the road. Okay, here's the read inventory. Here's the orders this week. And then here's projected what we will have to order by the end <laughs> here. Uh, we know that you've talked to us about budget money running out soon. So maybe this gets ordered. You know, so it's just kind of cool to see that type of ownership coming in there, right? It, and, it, and- it, is, it is funny because, you know, so often I think we look at our kids as students, which they are, but they have so many capabilities like this, the older they get that they, they can help. You know, I've heard about, I heard about a program once, this guy was teaching it, um, doing a clinic at Midwest and he was talking about how, I mean, he had kids order buses for him. Like they did all the yeah. bus paperwork. And at one point he even said, oh, I'm sorry, you, you screwed up this one. This is supposed to be at this time or whatever. And, and, the, and the girl's like, no, we're always late to that competition because of this, this, and this. So we're leaving an hour earlier. <laughs> so you're right. Yeah, you know, yeah. you, you give the kids that, that, that ownership and they're going to take it. Well, and, and yeah, to that point, you know, and, and obviously I don't think either one of, of us needs to say this, but we'll say it like, you can't have the kids answering email to parents or anything. Right. But to that point, you know, I had a kid that was going to go into like sports marketing and whatever else and and um, some financial things. And, you know, our, our percussionist wanted a new drum line. And I told him, I said, guys, I'll get to it, but I'm not going to get to it for a month or two. I said, if you'd like, 
And then, by the way, anyone listening out there that like is having any problems with money with their program, not personal, we all got that, right? But yeah, any problems with their program, um, you know, let me know because I love working with with people to get money for their programs. I mean, it just like I just geek out on that. There's been quite a few things we've done that just work really, really well. That's got a lot of them. There's you can download them online and everything. But um, this kid, I, I told him, I'm like, you want a new drum line? Here's what you do. And this kid worked with the principal um, to get a new drum line. And, and he sent him out. He's like, here's what we'd like. Here's the you know, Cadillac version of it. This is what would get us by. But we're going to have to, if we don't buy nice or buy twice, we're going to replace this later mm-hmm. on. And this is how, how many kids it would affect, how long it would last. And, and yeah, these instruments should last 15 years. However, our program makes things go 30 years. So you're getting a real deal. Um, you know, and I tell the kids too, I'm like, use that to your advantage. I said, a mm-hmm. lot of our, our, you know, people that make those finances work. I said, you get a 16 year old kid. That's like really trying something. I said, you're probably going to get their year. You're probably, mm-hmm. you know, pretty far. And, you know, we have those kids print those things out and put them in their college applications, et cetera. Look what I've done. Look what, you know, I've, I've helped a program get $20,000. I've helped the baseball team kids are using it for their baseball team to get mm-hmm. new equipment there so yeah absolutely that you know student leadership isn't just working with um music right like our our student leaders take on social roles they take on equipment um hospitality everything in that sense um so you talked about getting money for your programs things like that is that are those things that you can talk about briefly here on the podcast oh absolutely yeah so i've got um I think there's an article I put up called how to ask for money. I can't remember. I'll try to find it. I'll, okay. I'll send it out there. Um, but yeah, I, a lot of my job is finding money for the program because as we know, band costs money, right? Yep. It, it just costs money. And when you, with my program, I said at the beginning of this podcast, right, that that's not going to solve everything, but it's, it also is necessary. Mm-hmm. So um, what, what I can give you first is a few just small tips or tricks to kind of try out, you know, so for example, we freed up in the, in another school I worked at, um, we freed up quite a bit of money. We had a strict sheet budget, uh, sheet music budget, mm-hmm. and that wasn't that much money. And we also were expected to play at all the basketball games, football games, et cetera. And each year they wanted new pep music. And I remember going to that athletic director and just telling them like, Hey, I'm kind of running out of money to shoot music, etc. I also knew he was a big ACDC fan. And I said, I'm just going to be blunt with it here. I said, we're only going to be playing this music at athletic events. That's it. Um, I said, they also released all this new ACDC music. And before I could even get it out of my mouth, which was going to be, can the athletic department buy us a couple of pieces? Sure. He just goes, ACDC? I said, yeah. He goes, we'll buy it. Okay. (laughs) So that turned into um, the athletic department essentially purchasing things for us, such as our sheet music, right? Mm -hmm. Or if we had specific um, percussion needs that would only be, you know, used during pet band or something like that, you know. Um, that ended up freeing us up, you know, quite a bit of money. So we were having the athletic department was buying pet band music, et cetera. And now I can spend more sheet music, on uh, money on, you know, maybe the concert rep, for example, there. Sure. Um, 
But then what we were finding out when it comes to other types of money, uh, not other types of money, but uh, other budgets, other areas of need, um, you know, you said, can you, I get into it briefly? I, I, I can try. My big thing is asking for money. I think there's so many people out there that think, number one, they shouldn't have to. Mm-hmm. Right. And, I, and I'm not a big fan of the word should. Like whenever we use the word should, I feel like we're, we know how things are, but we just want them to be different. So we just kind of stand there until they change and they never change. Right. Mm-hmm. So we shouldn't have to invite administrators to concert. Well, we, we do. They're busy. We shouldn't have to ask for money. Well, we, we do. Right. So part of that was we just started working with a formula that was very specific. So let's say um, here's here's what doesn't work. Here It doesn't work to talk to your principal or finance person and say, I, I need money for an instrument. That's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that just doesn't work. Um, and so I think when we start thinking like administrators, we think more in the Excel, Google spreadsheet type deal. When I have sent things that have said, you know, hey, we we have three new students that moved into the program. Our current inventory does not support me lending instruments out to them. Okay. Here's the history of our program briefly. We have, we have increased enrollment by this much. We've been using this inventory to its max. We are looking for this specific model and brand of instrument. It is this cost new we have a used seller somewhere else with that okay um or we're looking for its equivalent right and so i'll say i need this instrument it's going to cost this much here's the new here's the used in addition i can maximize this by ordering three separate mouthpieces this was pre-covid too Mm -hmm. right um uh three separate mouthpieces um and then these cleaning supplies which are going to eliminate these these instrument repair costs etc at this point mm-hmm. it will not only benefit these students but it's going to be used for this many performances if we were to get it now you would actually see it in concert on may 20th and i just go on and on with it you know and and um from there i i, I do a direct ask say you know I've looked at money in my program right now. We do have budget money allotted here. I can certainly go out to the community and try to figure this out. However, are there funds available for me to purchase this instrument today? And I send it. And um, sometimes the timing matters, right? Like Mm -hmm. if you look in the newspaper and you see referendum didn't pass, windows are falling out of the school and stuff like that. Maybe you don't ask for it then, right? (laughs) But on the other hand, an understanding of finance though, right? Is that sometimes those those band instruments come out of a different budget than the school windows. So sometimes it doesn't matter. Um, and it's understanding your administration. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes if you have an administrator that is super relaxed on Tuesdays, but on Thursdays, the school board meeting is in the evening or whatever, that's where you use your best judgment on when to put that, that request out. Um, and I almost never get a no. If I ever get a no, it looks more like we don't have this right now, but can you send us that request next month? Mm-hmm. And oh yeah, okay, absolutely. And then what does that look like? I'm going right in my my app that's like saying remind me in 30 days, and they can mm-hmm. that immediately. Um, but then you know that relationship part matters there because the next step of it is what if you get the instrument? We get the instrument. 
we say thank you. What does that thank you look like? We're getting kids doing handwritten thank you notes with a picture of themselves with the instrument, with their parents' permission. And if I go into administration's office, like I see those pictures hanging up there and I see those thank you notes. And it's not that we're just trying to necessarily manipulate people for money, but people know that if they are going to support our program in that sense, that um, they're going to get a thank you. They're going to get an invite to the concert. They're going to get recognized. And they also can tell, you know, the people that just work with data, hey, you spent two grand. What happened with that two grand? Well, I can tell you exactly what happened to it. It was here, here, here. It got to play in New York. It got to do this. It got to mm -hmm. do that. a specific instrument. Sure. You know, so that's, it's, it's usually, it's interesting because there've been some people I've worked with through like some online grad classes that they came back and they're like, I got, you know, they're like, we need 10 grand for the program. I said, okay, did you ask? No, I can't, I can't, I can't ask for that. I said, well, we're not asking for money for ourselves, mm -hmm. right? We're at, we're asking for the, in most instances, the taxpayer or donated money that's already here. It's already here. Some of it's been allocated. Some of it has not. Um, I said, so just why don't you use this and go ask for it? So, you know, I would get people that would come back and they'd go, they said, yes, what do I do now? <laughs> <laughs> like we go spend it, right? That's awesome. Um, yeah. So I think it's that. I think it's also, you know, we go back to that school report card. We see what our school looks like. We see, does our program represent that? Our, you know, what's our percentage of our numbers in the school? Um, I had another school that I worked with that when I got there, we had, I don't know, 40 kids in the program. And in a year we went to 80 and I was just short money to get all these instruments. I was short, like I, I needed 5,000 or 10,000, something like that. So I really took a risk. I made this huge proposal and I asked for a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> And I submitted this proposal for a hundred thousand dollars and within an uh, over email. And in an hour I got, come see me in the office. <laughs> I came in and the ministry is just laughing at me. He goes, this is more money than like all, all the programs combined get. I said, I understand. I said, here's the data. I said, I'm just telling you, this is what we need. This is just the ask. Everybody's entitled to say no, right? You know, yep. again, had a good relation. I wanted 10 grand. And I forget the exact number, but he's like, ah. he goes, okay, there's this TIF money with the tax. There's this, he's like, is 15,000 okay? And I remember in my head going, holy cow, like I did it. But what I said out loud was I said, well, if you have 16, we could, we could work that. <laughs> you know and we spent it like we yeah, you know sure yeah everything that i put on that 100 grand was things we legitimately needed i'm like we're just not gonna be able to do this for a good 10 years so yeah. so then the kicker with that is the next year we had 120 kids in bands so i went back to him and asked for 150,000 because i just i wanted i wanted that same amount of money and so that's all i wanted was like 15 or 16 so he came back and he's like 20 and i said how about 21 he goes i know what you're doing <laughs> I said okay 21 he's like 21 so that That's was awesome. uh yeah not every year for that right. but you know it was it was just that thing of like okay 
we're being honest. It's legitimate. We need these, we need these items. Um, you know, some of them, yeah, we can do without, but on the other hand, if the money is there and it's, it's going to go right into the program and impacting the kids. Like, I think for a lot of people, that first step is just the ask with details, right? Same with, same with fundraising. If your kids go, I'm raising money for the band. You're not going to get as much success as a kid saying, we're trying to raise funds for a, a, you know, we are trying to raise funds for new drumsticks for this next, you know, season that are yep. going to be for the specials. So I probably should have mentioned this earlier, but you have a book out with GIA called High Needs Monumental Success Monumental Successes, um, teaching music to low income and underserved students. And I'm sure we've talked a lot about what's in that book already today. Um, can you plug that book a little bit and then also plug the next book that you have that you're working oh, on? Oh yeah, too? yeah. Well, look at that. There we go. It's probably backwards. All right. Um, yeah, I, um, I'm just very passionate about, you know, teaching every type of student and, and I just love these practical things. What can we put into our programs tomorrow? So, um, this book, it's, it's giving characteristics of, of low income and underserved students. I talk about my story a little bit growing up and and having music programs just, and and teachers just redirect me in a positive, Mm -hmm. um, positive direction, I feel. Um, and then just things that we we do with our program um, at, at, at Joliet and other programs that I've worked with. A lot of it is dealing with prior knowledge. Some people don't like this word dysfunction, you know, but if we talk about dysfunction, it's it's not a slam on anyone. It's rather just, you know, maybe things not working the way we expect them to work with. Sure. And yeah. or, or, or work. And, you know, so we kind of switch that a little bit to just the knowledge that kids come in with, you know, and, and we're, the the whole book is like, how do we work with the kids that are in front of us and not the kids we wish we had? There you go. So, you know, it's a, what I feel is, is a very practical um, book. You know, we dig deeper into accountability. We talk about attendance issues, student mobility, grading policies, Mm -hmm. And, you know, the family structures that our kids come through. And then, you know, my big section, it's basically what we can do. It's about fostering value and respect. Um, If anybody wants a sample of it, there's on the Yamaha education blog, the one of their more popular articles, it's called practice not required. Mm -hmm. And it's essentially how we um, put our program into place with a a non-practice requirement, you know, because ultimately our kids with their situations at home they're not going to practice. And, and we can say that's because they live in apartments or mom or dad works mm-hmm. at home, et cetera. Uh, but let's be honest, kids, they're not going to practice if they don't want to. Right. And, and I've found with some of the methods we've used, even the kids that have some of the roughest situations at home, if they want to practice, they're going to figure out a way mm-hmm. uh, to do it there. Sure. So as I said, a lot of practical things. Um, and then I love scenarios just these scenarios in education. This is your next book, right? Yeah. And in in fact, um, these scenarios started in this book. So I would have scenarios such as a parent calls and they need an extension for the payment for the band trip. You say yes. And then later that day, you go to the grocery store and you see that parent with like a cart full of alcohol. You know, mm-hmm. what do you do? Um, and there'd be scenarios too of like, I, I had a kid that, um moved in their senior year to my school and they blew off our big state festival 
without telling me to go to prom at their old school. You know, yeah. what do you do in that situation? We've got two worlds of traditions, you know. That it, that re- the first one you said reminds me of something that happened to us many years ago before everybody had the world's nicest phone ever. But yeah. This is like 10 years ago. And we had a parent who literally said, you know, their daughter, like, screwed this flute up so badly. Like, it was yeah. cl- clearly on them. And it was like $100 repair. And, and the mom was just saying, I'm sorry, we don't have that money. We can't do it. And below it, it said sent from my iPhone nine or whatever it was, oh, which, yeah, which yeah. is at the time you had to spend some serious money to have, yeah. to have that. So, yeah. I yeah. And it really is, you know, a lot of the book kind of deals with where, where can we get ourselves in a mental space of saying, you know what, if I'm doing something, that's my decision, right? If I am giving that parent an extension on the trip, And then later on, I see they're buying beer or whatever, you know, that's going to ruin my night if I let it ruin my night. Mm -hmm. I don't know the whole situation. Also, I already made the decision, right? I already made the decision that I'm giving the extension, you know, spoiler, spoiler on this. The parent paid, the kid went on the trip, everything was fine, right? But, you know, sometimes we just, we get in our heads and like, you know, it should be this way. Right. And Um, I gotta, I I just gotta jump in that, that comes from experience. That comes from experience. We've all taken stuff home. And then year after year you go, if I don't take this home, it's still going to turn out the same way, but I'm going to have a better quality of life. And I think think Morgan Freeman has this phrase that he uses. It says this too shall pass that, you know, (laughs) no matter what, no matter what the issue is, that's good and bad, right? No matter what this issue is, it will pass. And also yeah. my trumpet section is burning right now. This too shall pass. And before you know it, you can't play F on top. You're, of you're exactly right. Yeah. The good <laughs> and the bad. And that's not to put anyone in a negative headspace, yeah. right? It's just like, stop. For me, I, I got into a better headspace when I'm like, I don't want things to be great. I don't want things to be awful. I just want things to be, to be good and manageable, right? Like trying to live in these extremes was, mm-hmm. was a very, very difficult thing. Um, but yeah, in terms of the scenarios, these scenarios, when I present somewhere, just became very hot topics. People really enjoyed them. So um, the next book that I'm finishing up now, it's uh, kind of the working title is Scenarios for Music Educators, and it's on educational dilemmas. And um, I have two co-authors with it, uh, which is um, Jessica Corey from Plank Junior High in Oswego. And Roosevelt Griffin, Dr. Roosevelt Griffin from Vanderpool College of Music. And we're working on these scenarios. And it's basically all these just, you know, all or nothing situations or or situations that there's no good answer to them. Right. And And, so that's fun. And we've got. They probably come from real. They probably come from real life scenarios. Um, Yeah, they're real life. I mean, obviously, for legal things, you know, you got to you have to kind of mix and match a little bit right could you um um, could you just give us a rundown of a couple more examples of what those scenarios might be not the solutions or anything but sure sure um so you know some are pretty cut and dry like for example we would have um a scenario in there about you know let's say this let's say you have a star trumpet player all right star student coming in and this kid is working their butt off and you've got that big performance this weekend all those things right you're talking to that kid at lunch and a box cutter falls out of their their yeah right and the school like you know what's going to happen now and and you know there's nothing nefarious with this right why is this kid got a box cutter well he works at walmart overnight 
in the shipping department, right? Yep. Um, but at my school, if you have a box cutter, it's considered a weapon. You are suspended. Yep. You know, at that point. And that's where a lot of those come from. You know, so those are pretty cut and dry things where, you know, as the newer educator, because the book's kind of that uh, focused more on, I would say, maybe teachers in their first five years or so, but also something that veteran teachers could take a look at and guide through. But that's that thing where like, you know, what happened on, on paper, you're going to go, absolutely, this rule has to be effective, uh, in effect, right? But what happens in your head if you're the new teacher or even the older teacher and you've got that big performance and listen, this is the only kid that can cover that solo mm -hmm. this weekend. This kid going home, I don't want to use the word ruins everybody else's performance, but it's significantly effective. But, but if, right? you have the, if you have the long-term vision about it, that performance is going to be over real soon. And the message yeah. sometimes there's two things that come to my mind. One, one time I had a trumpet player who could not pass his classes. He was just lazy. He was just lazy. So then I knew it yeah, was yeah. going to be, I knew it was going to be close. So Monday of, a, of one of the marching band performances, I said, um, you're not playing this week. And he said, wait, what do you mean? I said, well, blah, blah, blah. I, if I can't rely on you, then you're not going to play this week and you can't you know, there's this big solo we had. And he's like, I don't care. It'll be, it was nobody else who could play it, but it was just going to be silent for 10 seconds. And then by Wednesday, he was fine. And we never had yeah. to have, have this discussion again. And then another time, I know you mentioned in that case, it was like, this is a kid's solo and nobody else can play it. Like we've had those. Um, yeah. But at the same time, doctor, in different scenarios, Dr. Tim talks about the, the Eastern philosophy. So in Asia, it's more about, okay, this kid is now off the table. This now gives an opportunity to another kid to grow in that area. Whereas in our country, we tend to think about, oh, poor us, this kid now is not available. You know, yeah. it's it's more of a growth mindset. I know it doesn't yeah. happen all the time, but definitely works. Yeah, so there's, you know, there's quite a few scenarios in there, like a couple other examples. Um, you know, one would be one that I have experienced, which is a, we had a kid that brought in an ISO to, to ban, the instrument shaped object. Right? Mm -hmm. And, and this is a, a pretty deep layered one. This, this parent worked a couple of jobs to buy their kid a, a new trumpet. And they were really proud because they bought this brand new trumpet that was $400. Mm -hmm. And I talked to the kid in band privately. I said, hey, that's really cool. Why don't you keep that horn at home to play? And I'll let you use this one here. All right. We had like a box strat or Yamaha Zeno mm -hmm. in the back there, right? Okay, next day, voicemail. Like, I can't believe, you know, from the dad, you disrespected us, and I worked so hard to get this instrument, and, you know, she is playing that horn in band right now. Mm -hmm. And just, to, you know, think about all those things with that, right? Like, I didn't think about it. I kind of opened my mouth a little bit early on those. However, this instrument could not play in tune. Mm -hmm. I'm saying yes to this kid playing this instrument and I'm saying no to the other 74 kids in that band. Right. Yep. And I mean, all sorts of things with it. Right. So um, then it was trying to figure that out. And by the way, what, what's the other solutions we have? We'll say, well, a reputable instrument repair company wouldn't, wouldn't repair this. Right. Mm -hmm. However, in college, you know, everybody's got a guy. Well, I got someone that could fix it. Right? Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> so um yeah so there's there's a bit in there about that scenario and how you know people would um you know how, how the parents might react what ended up happening with mm -hmm. it what you could do as as you know music educator which maybe in future years 
you know, maybe that needed to be me promoting myself more as the musical expert and sure. consultant, right? And can I can I start to bring lists home around in November? These are the things to look at. And every, and every year you say, you know, if anybody's looking at a new instrument, you know, here yeah. here are you talk to me first, you know, exactly. talk to me first. Yeah. Um, so have, yeah, some some really hard hitting scenarios as well, which um, you know, we have a, a situation where here's an ensemble. And we had a um, special needs student in this ensemble. And the situation with that is um, the special needs student is um, really enjoying themselves and participating and, and learning. Um, but there's a group of students that feel that there's too much time being spent on that one student. You know, so now you're in a difficult situation where mm -hmm. these these kids, in this instance, these kids are saying they're going to quit if this student is still involved with it. Um, you know, so these are difficult situations that I think a lot of us would come with. What do you do in that situation? There are legal ramifications. There's moral. There's ethical. You do have to think about everybody involved. Yeah. But with with this book, and we're kind of in the process of trying to cut down scenarios because we have so many of them when, when is the book due to be released um it should be released i believe around december yeah okay. it should be released around december and, and that's through gia as well through gia yeah right. and you know but the big first part of it you know we're really proud of the opening section which is we talk about what teachers need to focus on in our opinion um, and that's communication, responsibility, and your community and culture. Yeah. So when you're looking at our scenarios, we're saying consider it through the lens of your community, consider your responsibility as a teacher. Also, a lot of problems are just because sometimes people don't think about the communication methods. So let's let's communicate effectively. And here's how it might look like, whether it's verbal, nonverbal, written. Yep. You know. I, I have uh, I have one final story um, before I ask you. It's kind of the final year question um, that I have for you. Sure. So uh, just a story that I heard one place, and the answer to the story is sometimes we are the problem. And <laughs> that so there was this, and again I forget all the I forget all the details, but there was this. You know, it was back many many years ago, like a thousand years ago, and there was this there was this disease that was killing. Um, all these pregnant, all these moms, they would give birth. And then within a couple hours, they would die. And at the same time, this plague was going on. And the doctors were also studying the corpses of these moms, and then trying to figure out why all these moms were dying. Well, all they went all this time, and they couldn't figure it out couldn't figure it out. It turns out, in the morning, they were studying the corpses. And in the afternoon, they were giving birth to these babies and they weren't washing their hands in between. And it turns out that they were actually the problem. The doctors were the ones perpetuating this throughout. That's a very um, heavy and morbid way of saying, you have to understand that if you're the problem, that that's an issue. So getting, yeah. your way, getting yourself out of that. So I had to say that, I, that's, a, that's a funky story, but... Um, so last question I have for you as we wrap up, Don, um, what is a piece of music or a composer that you really love that you think people should know about? Oh, my goodness. These are uh, these are always difficult questions for me with that. I, I have, you know, a few that I go back to a lot. And it's I think about pieces that I've repeated 
Um, one that's a little more challenging, and I want I think one that's more accessible. But there's there's a piece that I think at this point we've played two or three times. My kids, you know, like you know a piece that kids really love when they continue to just play it in their warm up, right? Mm-hmm. Go to any band room in the country and you're going to hear like Hey Baby and Seven Nation Army constantly, right? So, um, but we have played Chasing Sunlight by Kate Nishimura Mm -hmm. so many times. And it's, I don't know, just a piece that um, I think makes younger bands just sound great. They they really latch on to it. They're they're just really into it. And then I got to go with my my Joliet representation there. I know legally we're supposed to say the Stars and Stripes Forever is the greatest march ever. Cool, fine. Um that <laughs> and I love it. Um but if people haven't heard out there with with my school we have a march written for the school called March of the Steelmen. And um I don't know if it's in print or anymore but I know places that you can get it. Wink wink nudge nudge. Mm-hmm. And um it's just a great great march charles bell sterling um written dedicated to the joliet uh township high school band and i guarantee when you listen to it it's just one of those just like it it makes you feel good and and i know i'm not hearing as many marches played by bands today Mm -hmm. um but you know i think they're they're still fun um i heard a band director once say that marches teach everything We sincerely appreciate you taking your valuable time and listening to the Growing Band Director podcast. Your students are very lucky to have a band director like you. If you have any suggestions for episode topics or think you have an area of expertise to share on a show with us, please reach out. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your band director friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, our YouTube channel, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to the Growing Band Director. See you next week.